Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mondays with the You and Me. This time on a Tuesday, Arbury Road's most professional, in-depth, expert-only discussion. Now, it's just a joke. We're going to chat about some important topics in a, in a relaxed manner, as always. With me, as usual, is Paco. Paco, how Hello. are you doing? Hello, everyone. Yeah, really good, really good, really busy, uh, really excited to be here. Good to see you back again. We're also joined this week by Raquel Scarpa. Raquel, how are you doing? Not fine, thank you. Good. I'm here in Padua, not seeing the sunlight for many days, but that's all right. Pandemic life, I suppose. <laughs> so this week, the focus of our conversation is going to be the recovery fund. So the next generation EU, the project, what it is, why it's important, what the goals are, and maybe some of the issues that are still visible there in the project. So, Raquel, do you want to introduce the topic to us? Tell us what Next Generation EU is and how it came to be in existence. Yes. Um, well, Next Generation EU is um, um, an uh, uh, um, added founding uh, that uh, the European Union is um, um, distributing uh, towards nations, uh, it originated. It, it, uh, its, nece its necessity um, was uh, emerged with the pandemic. Uh, countries uh, really struggled with lockdowns and blocked uh, uh, economic um, and blocked their their economies. So um, this was a big boost for the the European Union. Uh, uh, to rethink of how um, should uh, uh, finance uh, nations, uh, member states, and uh, how uh, this money should be used and uh, uh, in towards which uh, purposes. Um, so it, it's uh, it's which is a slightly different from uh, regular regular European fundings, which uh, are. Uh, usually uh, very uh, controlled and um, regulated by Europe and which are usually usually addressed uh, more to uh, local uh, or regional uh, targets more than the, uh, the states themselves. Um, while uh, next generation EU is very, um, state uh, targeted uh, it gives a lot of responsibility to single nations uh, in the writing of their plan uh, of, uh, of using for using this uh, this big amount of money we're talking about like uh, uh, 750 or more more uh, billions of, uh, of euros um, and um, yes the European Union will have to revise each state's plan and uh, and will check if it um, if it fits the the three main direction directions uh, Europe gave uh, to use this money which are to use uh, um, for uh, uh, economical um, ecological sustainability uh, for uh, uh, digitalization and in and technological innovation and also for social uh, inclusion and uh, cohesion, I think. Um, 
with a particular um, attention for uh, topics such as gender uh, equality and uh, youth empowerment. Um, so uh, it's a lot of money given to states uh, with uh, very uh, little uh, implication. No, Obligation, maybe? Obligation, yes. Um, and it's quite new because it's originated uh, with, uh, with the common debt that the, the, the states are deciding to make uh, towards the financial market. And it, it's, uh, it, we'll see how it goes. Um, each nation is writing their, their own plan right now. We should have ours in, in Italy, for example, in, uh, in a few weeks and we'll see uh, how well it's written. Um, in, I think it's, um, it's quite important to, uh, to underline uh, how, um, how big it's the impact of the fact that uh, we are creating common debt because it's new uh, for for uh, for Europe. It's um, uh, and it's common debt without a really big obligations. So uh, not like the past. It's kind of uh, of a, uh, I'd say it's a victory for uh, for European institutions. Um, and it's originated for sure uh, from the pandemic because uh, uh, it in I think uh, the two of the uh, of the two positive outcomes of uh, of these whole situations uh, will be uh, hopefully uh, the uh, the creation of a common sense or of a bigger common sense. Uh, in Europe, and uh, it's also it's not related to next generation EU, but it's opening also uh, discussions about the taxation of the big big uh, uh, patrimonies, the, the very very rich people, companies uh, or uh, polluters. Uh, so uh, it's a step in this direction, and uh, and and it's a fund, and we need to use it and. Uh, so I, I guess we'll talk now about how we're going to use it. Sorry for my English. Not oh, Raquel, don't worry at all. Don't ever apologize for your English. It's perfect. Okay. Um, <laughs> we, love, we love taxing rich people and we love taxing polluters. Yeah. Paco, exactly. what do you have to add on the, on the recovery fund? Yeah, no, I agree with Raquel that is a really important uh, step. I'm a little bit more uh, like, I would say is more of a better later than never in the sense that you know we had to have a, a, a pandemic <laughs> a world pandemic to arrive to finally have some uh, eurobond basically because yeah as i kind of would say most of uh, this is going to our part of consistent part of this is going to be uh, eurobond which is something that i think europe should have employed already in the 2008 uh, financial crisis that would have helped to uh, contain the dramatic uh, humanitarian balance that the 2008 crisis produced in terms of you know, uh, job losses, like in terms of people inequality increasing, people uh, losing their jobs. And uh, there are still countries uh, which are um, paying basically that, um, like Greece, for example. So I think it's a, uh, it's a good step it came a little bit too uh, late. Uh, 
The other thing is I am a bit less positive about the, the, the fact of not, like I, I wouldn't say that the regulation are that little, like there are a lot of, uh, um, a lot of criteria the European states need to respect in my opinion. Uh, Such as? Of course, you need to check that they actually do what you want them to do so that they actually, as she said, uh, contribute to these really important uh, goals, uh, uh, green energy, economic innovation, and um, also especially particularly important, I think, is youth unemployment. Uh, we are in a dramatic situation uh, in many countries uh, as far as youth unemployment is uh, concerned. Um, as always, it seems to me, as far as I uh, have look, had a look at them, again, we are still at the beginning of the process, that is still really bureaucratic, that there are still really a lot, is really the whole process is a bit slow. Uh, and my question to Raquel is a little bit, do you think this is going to be enough? Like, uh, we, like again, the youth unemployment is dramatic, uh, gender equality as well. Uh, the situation is really bad in many countries. Italy is one of them. Uh, what, what's your opinion like? Uh, even not as a, you know, uh, not a technical opinion, but really opinion as a person who is passionate about politics, uh, who hopes to be a better Europe. Do you think this is going to be enough? Uh, this is going to be enough. Um, yeah. Well, I, I don't know, because I think we have uh, to, to do a big um, cultural reset. Uh, to do enough, um, especially on uh, youth uh, unemployment and on uh, um, women's, uh, women's unemployment or uh, uh, inequalities, because we, um, I don't know if it's the same all across Europe, but I feel, uh, for example, about uh, uh, youth unemployment that we have a really big problem with the fact that uh, um, it's a common sense. Uh, everyone thinks that, everyone learns that uh, if you're young, it's fair that you are underpaid uh, and that you have to work for free for a certain period of, of your life, for free or, or for a very, very low wage, uh, to have some dignity uh, in your work. And I think this is a, is a big... Uh, a big obstacle we have to set, uh, as well as uh, for uh, for the gender issues, because the, it's it's very uh, rooted in our cult in our culture that uh, women need to stay at home and they need uh, uh, to do the all of the care work and that uh, uh, and they they don't really have the the qualities to. Uh, handle power or responsibility. Uh, so I, I think that uh, well, they, the money could be enough for a first for a first uh, step, but uh, the process uh, isn't uh, only an economic uh, one. Uh, also, I think that um, it it won't be enough uh, because I think that um, measures like uh, the Next Generation EU uh, should be. Uh, not uh, a one shot. Uh, they, they should be. We, we should have another next generation EU in a few years uh, to say that we are changing things. Um, so yes, probably if uh, uh, an uh, an occasion, a, a single uh, a single 
funding uh, one one time and uh, and then goodbye <laughs> it won't be enough probably so we'll see definitely i don't know Another question on these, like uh, I guess you have a lot of uh, friends a bit uh, younger than me and Dermot, <laughs> so perhaps uh, who are still entering the job market or uh, facing these difficulties, uh, are they understanding like these? Uh, because the other part that I always see in this kind of funding is that there is a lack of communication uh, by the youth. Like, do you think are we uh, as European Union being able to make uh, younger people understand the importance of this step, understand that there are new possibilities, or does it seem still like as this abstract, uh, you know, project, which is too bureaucratic and yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I, I think uh, at, at this moment, it, it still looks uh, quite uh, abstract. Um, I, I think, for example, uh, my perception of uh, uh, public opinion uh, is relative, but I think that uh, uh, it was perceived, for example, when Giuseppe Conte, the former prime minister here, uh, obtained uh, um, quite of a large sum of the next generation EU uh, for Italy. It was perceived, uh, but uh, I don't think uh, uh, there's any perception of the, the discussion around it or the direction in which uh, the the plans are going uh, so uh, people maybe maybe think that we're gonna uh, receive lots of money from europe but it's not clear uh, how much we 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 should we will have to return it's not clear how it will be spent or uh, when it will have an impact uh, uh, on our lives um so yes, I, I'm not sure this is uh, uh, this is very perceived, and I think there is a problem, uh, a communication problem about this, uh, because it's it's not really it's not really clear, and also for informed people, uh, isn't simple to uh, even uh, uh, create um, um, create yes opinion. Uh, Consensus, it's not consent. Consensus, okay. Consensus, yeah, sorry. Consensus, okay. I was saying consent, but it's not the same. <laughs> A little different. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yes, so um, I, I think there there is still uh, lots of work to do about this because also because uh, we need uh, for um, uh, you know the social categories to advocate for themselves to uh, get the, the funding. We need uh, uh, workers to say, fund uh, our rights. We need women to stand up and say, give us money. <laughs> we need the students uh, to, to raise their voice. And if, uh, if these categories uh, are si remain silent because they are misinformed, uh, it, it will be a problem probably because rich people do know how to advocate for themselves. So rich people, the powerful one. This is one of the, um, this is one of the, the, the areas that worry me about the fund is that youth unemployment is extremely high. Are students gonna go and demand money? Probably not. As you say, it's always the richest, the big, the 
the people who need the money the least that are the best at getting the money, you know? Yeah. How do yeah. we motivate young people to go out and kick and scream until they get the money and the jobs that they need? Yeah. Well, um, I think young people um, are motivated, uh, but not... Uh, not about everything you know we had uh, young people raising about climate justice uh, we, we we really haven't uh, hadn't seen before so um i hope uh, that uh, uh, it will be soon clear that uh, uh, climate justice uh, racial uh, social gender equality uh, um, fair jobs uh, and uh, and economy are all problems that, that are very linked. Um, how can we uh, help them uh, make them rise? Uh, I guess it's us, so maybe we should just uh, speak more, talk more, uh, be more active. Um, yes, I, I don't really have an answer for that. Uh, we all do our small part uh, by reading and by Rogue. doing activism. <laughs> of course. Reading <laughs> Rogue, yes. <laughs> okay, course. so Paco, mm -hmm. do you want to tell us about your main man Salvini? <laughs> what he's been up to <laughs> this week? Yeah, sure, definitely. So uh, there was this meeting on the past Thursday uh, of a sort of uh, I imagine it a little bit like, you know, Star Wars, the return of the Empire Strikes Back. Like, <laughs> uh, these like really evil characters meeting. So it was between uh, Salvini, uh, Orban, the uh, Hungary's Prime Minister, and uh, Morayeki. How do you pronounce it? I never like Morawiecki. Morawiecki. <laughs> I don't know. My Polish isn't great, to be honest. Yeah, uh, neither. Uh, we are expanding still in Poland uh, in terms of the uh, team, but uh, so we will have more uh, Polish people. Uh, now, so like this sort of uh, uh, meeting of the evil <laughs> characters in Europe, uh, that and they met to um, basically they talked about this new alliance done for to create a sort of European Renaissance based on uh, Christian values. Uh, it's basically a European version of uh, make Europe great again, like of make America great again, so make Europe great again. Uh, what is astonishing, uh, would be funny if it wasn't tragic, uh, is that of course uh, how they refer to Renaissance and there is a complete lack of historical knowledge, talking about Christianity and Renaissance, where actually Renaissance was the opposite in a way, like was the moment when after centuries of oscurantism, where, you know, everything you could study was about God and the theology, basically, was the return to the reason. So in a way, it was a little bit anticipating the, the um, enlightenment later on, and was the return to put humans at the center of the study. You know, we have, uh, of course, great figures like Leonardo da Vinci, but also there, there was the, the starting of, in a way, modern human rights uh, that, again, then during the enlightenment became sort of uh, society-wise accepted. Uh, and it's funny that, uh, you know, they talk about Renaissance countries, which are clearly violating now uh, the rule of law and uh, basically many of the uh, human rights and uh, many of the values of the European Union. 
The other funny bit, uh, particularly for Salvini, of course, for Orban, this makes sense because they just left, uh, Fide Fides, his party just left the, the conservatives. Mm -hmm. Salvini, uh, is, like, I think is a sign of uh, bipolarity, but like he's a bit bipolar in the sense that uh, he's at the government in Italy now with the Draghi government. Uh, he voted in favor of the recovery fund uh, at the European level, and he declared that the, uh, the Lega Nord is uh, pro-European and is uh, side in the European Union. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the guy is a bit confused, and the same people in his party are saying that they don't understand anymore which is the political line. Uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, I think the guy is a bit confused. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not really surprising that these guys are okay with the recovery fund because there's no, the, the rule of law mentioned in the recovery fund is so vague, so open, they can just abuse it. They don't have to, it's really disappointing that the rule of law stipulation in the recovery fund wasn't precise, you know? Um, yeah, but... we will see how it is applied, of course, because then... Uh, uh... Yeah. I hope that there will be still pressure from the other countries. Again, well, we said it many times in many podcasts um, that you know the European Union seems really, really uh, present when it's time to respect economic laws, a little bit less when it's time to respect human rights and uh, the rule of law. Yeah. Again. So yeah, it's really disappointing that they, they can't they can't just continue to sit back and assume things will be okay you know there's real there's real division appearing in in Europe at the moment the pandemic has shown that the, a lot of nationalistic rhetoric and nationalistic tendencies but the solution isn't to just keep doing what you're doing and say okay we won't push too hard you know I'm worried and this also uh, scares me a little bit because um, correct me if I'm wrong but I think that if this group was formed uh, with Salvini, uh, Orban, and uh, and uh, I'm pronouncing, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it would be like the the second uh, one of the biggest groups. Mm. It would be quite quite influenced. It's a lot of people, uh, Poland, Italy, and Hungary. That's yeah. A lot of people. So so it it won't be it wouldn't be possible anymore uh, to like uh, leave aside a little bit the the sovereignist uh, uh, the sovereignist part in the European institutions. So uh, from from the main chairs from the the main uh, position of responsibility, uh, I think. Yes, this is really, really dangerous. Yeah, Italy, Italy getting involved. Italy is a, a key part of Europe. It always has been, you know. Salvini joining that alliance is a little bit very, very scary, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also it's, it's really, it really amazes me how, he, uh, how he's able to uh, maintain consensus with uh, such, uh, such a radical... Uh, a contradiction in uh, in his way of acting. We we in Italy are really really used to contradictions in politics. Uh, every party has uh, has its side. The left also does. We said we we wouldn't uh, like uh, be in a government with the with the Lega two days ago, and here we are. So. Uh, Used to it, but Salvini is um, is contradictory, really in the in the 
core values of uh, of his policy and what what he says, what he does in Europe and in Italy, it's like really really confusing. If I if I was uh, uh, a voter of uh, of Lega, I would be really really angry. Yeah, we have the um, we have the opposite problem in Ireland. All the parties are exactly the same, and they pretend like they're not. <laughs> There's no difference. <laughs> um, all right. On that note. I wouldn't mind mentioning Northern Ireland because the place has been wild for the last four or five or six nights. There's been police getting attacked with petrol bombs, dozens of people getting arrested, dozens of police injured. And a lot of this has come from since Brexit, you know. Once Brexit happened, there was a new border, let's say, in the, in the, Irish, in the Irish Sea between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Now, what doesn't help is that they decided last week not to prosecute 25 Republican politicians who broke the COVID regulations to go to a funeral yeah. of a man who used to be essential in the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, national terrorists, essentially. So that place is really, it's a very delicate situation. Paco, have you been looking into this at all? Uh, yeah, but of course, I, I let you mainly talk about this in the sense that there's a, uh, there is an Irish person, uh, probably uh, something you can talk more about, uh, ask more about. And, and what I was thinking is also like, you know, it's interesting because like, uh, if I'm not wrong, there are certain pools which suggest that Northern Ireland, if not imminently, but in the near future, is, is actually there is a, a growing concern towards uh, leaving the uh, UK and uh, sort of unifying Ireland. And I think if I'm not wrong, that this is also in conjunction with the fact that the Catholic population, which is of course uh, closer to Ireland culturally, mm -hmm. in Northern Ireland is growing way faster than the uh, Protestant. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you're not wrong in what you've said at all. Like, the conversations are growing, of course, as soon as they announced Brexit was going to happen, the conversation restarted being, okay, let's have a united Ireland. I think people need to relax about the idea of a united Ireland, okay? First of all, there's a million people who live in Northern Ireland who identify as British. Who are we to tell them how to decide their own self-determination, you know? Anyway, people should be able to be whatever they want to be. The most important, I mean, the, you have these polls coming out now saying they want to have a referendum because first of all if we want to have a united ireland there will have to be two referenda first of all in the north and then in the republic i think in the republic it will pass pretty easily but the north is still very close to 50 50 and if we've learned anything from brexit it's that if a vote is 51 49 maybe it's not the best idea to go through with the suggestion i think people need to relax with the idea of a united ireland um, but the most important thing is the peace process, you know, in 1998, they had the Good Friday Agreement. This took decades to, to really come about and to come into force. And it's been amazing since then. The deaths and violence and troubles have been significantly down through the 70s, 80s, 90s. It was a mess. If you'll excuse my French, it was a shit show. <laughs> now things are better, but of course, with Brexit and with also the pandemic and everything doesn't help, you know. People are bored. They don't have anything to do. Definitely. I understand what's happening. I would definitely forget for now about the idea of 
the North Northern Ireland joining the Republic, it's not the most important issue. The most important issue is peace, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all I've got to say on that. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, Brexit brings us back to, uh, as you were saying, uh, a period that we hope to have passed. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, we didn't need, we've, we've had such a step backwards in the last five years. And then the pandemic on top just makes it so easy for these nationalists to feed into people's fears and people's worries to get their agenda across. Anyway, that's enough about Ireland for one day, I think. Paco, what about <laughs> Bulgaria? Never enough about Election. Ireland. <laughs> what? Never enough about Ireland, I'm saying. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> what about Bulgaria, Paco? We had elections. Bulgaria, so uh, again, finishing this uh, sort of portrait of European politics is another country, of course, which is warring. Uh, a bit different from uh, from uh, Hungary, but also there, you know, there was a nationalist alliance, which uh, in many ways, I, there are certain tensions about uh, respecting human rights and uh, all the rest. So another country where I would say, uh, which we need to observe, it's quite interesting. There were so the election, of course, um, last week. Uh, and uh, basically what happened is that uh, uh, Barison, the current prime minister and his party won the election, but they uh, lost a lot of uh, votes. They got 32.6% in the previous election in 2017. This time they only got 26%, yeah. uh, which is not surprising because like they were accused of uh, corruption. There were a lot of uh, uh, manifestations against the government and uh, they were basically, Morrison was invited uh, in many occasions to resign. What is actually, what is surprising though, uh, well, so there is a situation now of where it's not clear if they will be able for, to form a government uh, and who will form a government. What is surprising I was saying is the, that a new party, which if I'm not wrong is called uh, people or something like that, a, a sort of populist party born only in 2020 with the goal of uh, asking for the elections actually, so to bring to uh, the election, got uh, is now the second party in uh, uh, Bulgaria with 70%, 17%, while uh, the bad news is that the socialists only got 15%. Really bad, really, yeah. really bad. They were expected to do uh, more. Uh, now, I'm not an expert, of course, of uh, uh, politics uh, in Bulgaria. Uh, I think it's really worrying, you know, that this instability that there is uh, in Europe. But again, we should, I, I really wish we had an expert to talk with. Uh, what, what a coincidence, Paco. Later this week, we're going to have a podcast on Bulgaria with a local expert. So we have that to look forward to. I'm glad you brought that up. One last continues. Yeah, this is it. One last thing before we, we close off the show for tonight. Uh, this is about China. So as I'm sure people are aware, there's been a lot of stories coming out over the last few weeks and months about slave labor in China, particularly slave labor of, I think it's pronounced Uyghur Muslims. So here's a list of companies who recently removed their policy on slave labor after pressure from the Chinese government. So you have Inditex, which owns Zara, Massimo Dutti, and many others. PVH, which own Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, 
You also have Hugo Boss, Fila, Asics, The North Face, Vans. If you enjoy any of those brands, just remember you're supporting slave labor in China. That's the closing message of the day. Raquel A. Paco, thanks a million for joining me. It was a pleasure as always. Thanks to you. Thank you. And as Paco said, we'll be back on Friday to talk about Bulgaria, the elections, and what it means for everyone in Europe. Have a good night, everyone. Have a step. Bye.